Welcome everyone, this is George Miley, and we have come now to our 17th teaching. The overall theme of these teachings is maturing toward wholeness in the inner life. That's actually the outcome that God has in mind for us in discipleship with Jesus. And we're in the process now of exploring the different parts of the person that Jesus referred to when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered by saying, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, here it comes, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he went on to say, the second commandment is like it, you shall love your neighbors yourself. So, what we're talking about here in our 17th study is what did Jesus mean with all your strength? You shall love the Lord your God with all your strength. So we understand that to mean with our body. The body is the vehicle. It's the storage component of our person where our physical strength is stored, the body. And our subtitle for this teaching or this chapter is this verse from 1 Corinthians 6. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. Glorify God in your body. Our body is the one component of our person that is physical. So we've talked about the heart, we've talked about the soul, we've talked about the mind. As it applies to our thoughts, we've talked about the mind as it applies to our emotions. All of those parts of us are not physical, and now we come to our body, which is physical. It is our body that locates us in the material creation. So that tells us a huge amount about us as people. We are spiritual beings who have physical bodies. I am not my body, but my body is an integral part of me and of who I am. I am a spiritual being that has a material body. Life in a rebellious, darkened, material world has negatively impacted my body. So, God created Adam and Eve with bodies. He put them in the garden, and he put them in an environment that was beautiful, flawless, supportive, healthy, an environment that would not in any way negatively impact their bodies, quite the contrary, that would nourish their bodies and strengthen their bodies and bring fulfillment to their bodies. We live in a rebellious, darkened material world. And that living in that world negatively impacted our bodies. Now, this in turn, the fact that our bodies have been negatively impacted by the material world, the lost material world, this in turn has affected our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our personal relationships. So all the other non-material parts of us have been negatively impacted by the harmful effect 
of a material world in rebellion and darkness. We must avoid, as we think about the body and as we think about reformation into Christ-likeness, we must avoid at all costs all attitudes of body hatred. So when we talk about a broken body, a damaged body, we're not in any way, shape, or form despising or hating the body. The wrong that resides in our bodies is not the fault of our bodies. If there's wrong in my body, how did that wrong get there? Well, the body didn't put it there. My, it isn't that my body has caused the wrong. I have caused the wrong by acting out my own sinful choices. So as I chose to rebel against my Creator and go my own way and acted out my own sinful choices, one of the consequences of that was damage to my body. God created the human body good. Genesis 1.31. Everything that God created was good. So God created the human body. He created it good. When the second person of the triune God came to earth, he took on a human body. Just as our human body connects us with the material world, for Jesus to become a part of the material world together with us required him to take on a body. And of course, he did that. In a human body, Christ bore the consequences of our sin, was raised from the dead, will come again. So Jesus, in the work of salvation and redemption that he accomplished, did this in the context of his human body. He died for our sins in his body. He rose again from the dead in his body. He will come again in his body. How did wrong enter our bodies? How did that happen? If God created the body good, how did wrong enter? Now, here is a vital feature of the human body. It's an awesome feature. It's a feature that's part of our creation. Without this feature, human life wouldn't work. And here it is. The human body has the capacity to learn behaviors and then to store them. So we learn behaviors. And as we learn those behaviors, we store those behaviors in our bodies. Countless behaviors are stored in our bodies. Think about it. How to tie our shoes. How to speak a language. How to play a sport. How to drive a car. How to do my job. How to relate to others, etc., 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 etc. In fact, the vast majority of human life is lived subconsciously out of behaviors that have been learned and stored in our bodies. At first, this learning happens consciously. If I'm going to learn something new, I got to think about it. I got to be conscious. I got to work at it. Then it is gradually stored away and it becomes habitual. We access it subconsciously. Now, here's our problem. Our bodies can learn and store away habitual behaviors that are unlike God and therefore damaging to us and to others. So in the garden before the fall, Adam and Eve, whatever they were learning, was beneficial to them. It was like God. They were learning it by being with God. 
and it was beneficial to their whole being. But now we, living in a fallen world, our bodies have the capacity to learn good things and store them away, but they also have the capacity to learn things that are damaging to us and to others, things that are not from God, things that are from the fallen world, the sin all around us. Romans 6.12 Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So in our study on the body, of course, the scriptures are filled with information about the body, but it just occurs to me that Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 are really crucial chapters in helping us to understand the body and really do provide much of the foundation for what we're saying here. So what Paul wrote in Romans 6, 12 gives insight to what we've been talking about. Listen to these words. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So here again, Paul is telling us that sin reigns in our bodies. It's in our bodies. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. My body was not created with sin. It learned sin. So how does sin reign or rule in my body? It reigns through sinful behaviors that I have learned, stored, and now habitually practice. How can this reign be broken? So there are three overall processes that we're going to explore more in depth that outline or shape the reformation of my body. So here are the three processes. The first is I take steps to retrain my body. That's something I have to choose. I choose to take steps to retrain my body. Secondly, I trust the Holy Spirit to transform my body. So although I must choose to take steps to reform my body, I'm not the one that reforms it. The Holy Spirit is the one who reforms it in response to the choices of my heart. And then thirdly, I honor and care for my body. So let's begin to talk a little bit more about each of those three processes. First, we come to, I take steps to retrain my body. This involves two processes. The first process is unlearning destructive behaviors. And the second process is replacing destructive behaviors with behaviors I learned from Jesus. So, just to review, what has happened to me? How did sin come to reign in my body? I learned destructive behaviors. I stored them away. What do I have to do now? I have to choose to unlearn those destructive behaviors and to replace them with behaviors. What kind of behaviors? The behaviors I learned from Jesus. Now, back to Romans 6. Romans 6.13. Paul writes, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now, what did Paul mean by members? Because this is not the only place he talks about members. Do not present your members to sin. 
Well, members certainly includes our bodily parts. So we don't present our members or our bodily parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. We don't do that. What if at times I simply do not have the ability to avoid presenting my members for unrighteousness? What if I want to not do that, but I can't do it? Well, this is our problem. This was Paul's problem. It was even true of Paul. Paul wrote in Romans 7, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Romans 7.23. So again, just to review that one more time, what is Paul saying? I see in my members, whatever those members are, it includes my bodily parts. I see in my bodily parts another law that wages war against the law of my mind. So my mind tells me I want to obey God, but in my body, in my members, there's another war that, law that's waging war against the law of my mind and it's making me captive to the law of sin. Where does this law of sin dwell? It dwells in my members, Romans 7.23. Now, this points us back to some of the previous chapters we have studied. So here we are, we're on chapter 17. So we've, we've come a ways in seeking to understand the process of maturing toward wholeness in the inner life. And this begins to remind us of previous chapters. For example, chapter 8, spiritual practices. So let's just have a little review about spiritual practices. I choose spiritual practices. Why do I do that? Why do I choose fasting or solitude or study or celebration or meditation or the other various spiritual practices that I learned from Jesus and our Judeo-Christian fathers and mothers. Why do I choose them? Not to punish myself or my body. Now, this is where in the history of the church, there's this beautiful experience of the incredible value of spiritual disciplines, but there's also the abuse. So we see that today. We see that in history. This is part of the human dilemma and the human damage. We can take that which is really, really good and misuse it. So spiritual practices have definitely at some points in the history of the church been used to express body hatred or to punish my body or to punish myself. That's not why they are given. Why are they given? To open myself to God. So spiritual practices are for the purpose of setting aside that which is wrong in order to open myself up to God. An example of this, an example of how spiritual practices can support the reforming of my body, is the effect of fasting from food. Jesus taught it. Jesus practiced it. So why should I fast from food? We've already talked about spiritual practices, so we, we don't want to get too much into this, but just to refresh our memory and to give us an example of this, why would I choose to fast from food? Jesus taught that we are to fast from food. Jesus practiced it. Why would I do that? What benefit does voluntary, temporary fasting from food have? What is the value of that? Well, here's the value. I learn that I am not required 
to give in to every demand my body makes of me. You see, we've got to bring the body into submission to God, not to hate it, not to damage it, but to bring it into its rightful place. So the body makes demands of us. I have to learn that I do not have to give in to every demand my body makes. A mega trend, a mega theme in the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Here it is. New life comes forth from death. Paul wrote that he died every day. So here is the mega theme. There is death. The value of death is that from death, new life comes. If I avoid the process of death, I will not open myself to the process of new life. As I follow Jesus and his teachings about death, that opens the way to newness of life. Why would anyone choose to die every day? In order to exchange what is ruined for what is new and deeply desirable, this includes the body. Why would anyone choose to die every day? You know, I'm thinking about now this short little parable that Jesus told me. Jesus said, you know, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a businessman that found a field. And in the field, there was this treasure. And so the businessman went and sold everything he had and bought the field. Well, why would a businessman sell everything he had? That doesn't make any sense. Well, the reason he sold everything he had was he found something much more valuable. So he bought the field that had the treasure in it. So all the things that he sold wasn't a loss. It was a gain because he got the field with the treasure. So that's what the whole process of death in our Christian life, choosing to die with Christ. What is the value? The value is we give up what is old and ruined in order to receive something that is infinitely more valuable. Paul wrote, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 2 Corinthians 4.10 But the retraining of the body is certainly not all negative. Key to understanding the biblical teaching on death is this. Death is the pathway to life. So, in our next session, carrying on our teaching about the body, we will talk about the second process in the reforming of my body. I trust the Holy Spirit to transform my body. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your ways are above our ways, beyond our ways, glorious, precious, filled with wisdom and insight, beautiful, gracious, lovely, redeeming, life-giving. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we bring our bodies to you. You created them. They are good, but we have misused them, and evil has come to reign in us. You came to break the power of that evil and to set us free, to bring us, including our bodies, into a new life, an eternal life, sharing the life of God. Lord Jesus, thank you 
Teach us your ways. Make these things clear and understandable to us that we might walk in your ways and be transformed into your likeness. We pray this, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.